It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back, fight fans, to another episode of BTR Boxing Podcast. I'm your host, Sean, joined by Johnston, as always. What an episode we've got for you today. The reaction show to Tyson Fury beating Deontay Wilder in emphatic fashion. Again, it's it's, it's great. I'm, I'm just, I'm still kind of getting over the fact that it was one one of the most exciting fights that I think I've seen over the past 20 years. Maybe not so much technically skilled, but it was definitely one of the most exciting fights I've watched over the past 20 years. A lot of talk on social media, Johnston, about is it one of the greatest fights of all time? Is Tyson Fury one of the greatest fighters of all time? Is he the greatest fighter of this year? There's so much going around on social media at the moment. I'm going to be interested to hear your thoughts on that a little bit later on, but... Please just give me your initial reaction to that fight. I was, I was, I was impressed with uh, Tyson Fury. To be honest with you, I was impressed that he come up from the canvas twice in that in that fourth round and managed to just establish himself from that from that set on from that moment onwards. And and for me, he beat Wilder around the ring for the rest of the the fight. For me personally, I mean, it was a good, it was a very intriguing fight throughout. Uh, I don't want to just go and throw a dumping on it straight away, but I do think people just need to just calm down a little bit. I don't. I wouldn't say it's the greatest, the, the classic, and he's the greatest fighter. End of the day, he has only beaten Deontay Wilder. I think uh, I listened to it on the HBO, or not HBO, uh, ESPN commentary, and uh, the guys on there. My goodness me, did they uh, overexcite a fight? <laughs> I can't help but just get irritated with it. Um, but the fight itself, look. In the end, I turned the volume down and I enjoyed it. I thought it was a thoroughly entertaining fight. Um, I, you know, I go into we'll go into the ins and outs of it in a little while, but as a whole, the best of the three, best, best of the three for sure. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. I think it was exciting back to back stuff. Like I said at the start, there not the prettiest of fights as the fight wore on because these are two big guys. These are two big guys that are going to get gassed at some point. And round about the fifth, sixth round, you could see they were both starting to tire. And that's what made it very exciting. Obviously, the fact that we got a knockdown in the third round, two knockdowns in the fourth, and then we had another knockdown, I think it was the seventh or the eighth, I could be wrong. There was a knockdown with Wilder then again. Tenth, Tenth. there you go. Yeah, you're right, the tenth. And then the eleventh. And then the the finish in the eleventh. It was was very exciting. It was very exciting because you just didn't know who was going to go down again. Like, Fury's capability to recover from a shot and get up from a shot is... It is probably one of the greatest powers of recovery I've seen in a fighter. It really is. It's definitely, in this modern era, in these last 20 years, which I consider to be the modern era, 
he's got to be one of the only fighters I've seen get up so many times. I mean, there are, there are others. I think of sort of guys like Pacquiao and Marquez and their fights and, and Barrera and Morales, you know, but it, we're talking about the heavyweight division. These are really hard thumping punches that are going at each other. And there was one punch that I seen where Wilder caught Fury as he came in. It was that short right. And you could see the ripple go straight through Tyson Fury's body in, in them little bit of ripples of fat that he has, that he carries. And you could see it rippling through his body. And you're thinking to yourself, watching that back now, it's like, he did well again to get up. He did so well. I mean, I don't think it was as as uh, emphatic as the knockdown in the very first fight in round 12. But he was still, you know, you've seen him go on the floor twice and you're thinking to yourself, is he going to get up? Is, is Wilder going to... Is Wilder gonna upset the odds and, and, and upset a lot of people in the process. But no, he didn't. Deontay Wilder, he, again, as the, the fight wore on, he started to he started to fold a little bit. But I'm not going to completely slander him. I'm not going to completely discredit him because the one thing that I did take away from that fight with Wilder is that he has got heart. And when he mentioned in that second fight about wanting to go out on his shield, he really did want to go out on his shield. And he, and he did. He did in the eleventh round. He went out on his shield, and and that was that was what he wanted. But the slanderous part of me thinks, well, okay, you know, you've been beaten. Show a bit of sportsmanship, and he refused to do so. And straight away, he made himself look like an utter clown by refusing <laughs> to show any sort of respect to Tyson Fury. I, again, I just don't understand it. Like these guys have hyped these fights up. Yeah, they've talked a lot of shit about each other. You know, there's a bit of dislike between one another. But at the end of the day, they've got to have respect. These guys have shared, what, 32, 33 rounds with each other, something along them lines. And yet, you know, there's no respect from Deontay Wilder's side. And I, I, I can't sort of fathom why that is, to be honest with you. But, Johnston, go back to the fighting, go back to the detail of it and, and, and just talk us through and, and the listeners through what your thoughts were, what you were thinking when this was all unfolding at the time. So the first thing was the, that first round. Uh, we, we spoke um, in a bit of length about the fact that Malik Scott was coming in and whether Deontay Wilder could do anything different. And I think in that first round, obviously they'd learned, they'd, they'd picked up on something and, and he was throwing that left jab, strong, hard jab, um, and then looking for the big right hand really early and pushing Tyson Fury right back, which I really liked. Trouble was, he only done it for a rant and a half. Um, and then he just went back to what we tend to see all the time with Wilder. The, f- the footwork just, again, he just comes so square at times. But the second round, I felt Tyson came back into the fight. So I had a round each. Um, and, then, and then from there, obviously, that, that third round, I think I think Tyson Fury started to take control. He, he floored him with a big shot, put him down in that third round. Credit to Wilder, he got back up. Managed to see the round out. And came out, and again, he's, he, he was on the back foot. He was looking like, for me, at that point, when I was watching, I know it was early hours in the morning, but I have rewatched the fight, and I felt, even then, the second time I watched it, it looks like Tyson's going to take him out. And then Tyson gets caught, and he gets caught with that short right hand that puts him down. And I don't think he quite recovered, hence why he went down the second time. I think he was still hurt and buzzed from that right hand. It was a big right hand, and it was a terrific four-round fight from that moment. And the fifth round was another good round. Many of the judges and many people tend to side with the guy that knocks the other guy down in the next round. And I think that's what sort of happened. And many thought Wilder won that fifth. Although I think for me, Tyson won it. And then I think from there, it was a Tyson show. I know many people have mentioned he had got heart and, 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 and I understand that. But the trouble was when he got to round nine, for me, Tyson Fury's beating him up. And, um, and he got yes men in his corner. He got Malik Scott, who was a yes man. And he was the man. And he told him straight, do not throw the towel no matter what. And I do think there are times when you do need to take into consideration the other guy's health. I really do. I, I think it can be... <sighs> Look, I, I understand. You want to go on your shield. And people have credited that. But you've got... It's a thin line, isn't it, Sean? It is a thin yep. line between a guy that's 40 pounds heavier than you, smashing you on the face constantly. Because you're not going down. Yeah, you're showing great, true grit and heart. But the corner needs to have a reality check. At some points of that fight, especially from, for, for me, round nine and then round 10, I mean, I know Wild had a, t- had a tiny burst for about five seconds, and that was it. And, and what I didn't like in the commentary I was listening to was that it's this 50-50 fight. It was for five rounds. When you started to get to 10 
and 11. Those extra two right, they didn't need to be played out. They really didn't. For me, I think I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have said it was early stoppage if that had stopped it because he was getting beaten up. And I know people say that, yeah, he's got this right hand, but you could see the right hand was landing and it was inactive. It, it, it didn't really do anything to Tyson. He kept coming forward, whereas in the early stages, it was pushing him back and it was making him have a rethink. So I just, I, no, I don't want to put a damper on it because I really enjoyed it. I was, I, I was on my feet. It was early hours in the morning and I was tired and it woke me right up. I, I loved the fight. It was a great, intriguing fight and I'm not knocking that. But for it to be a true classic, there needs to be a, fit, a fight where both fighters are coming back. And I think at times, Wilder wasn't. And I just think everyone gets a little bit wrapped up in that. And you think 40 pounds, Sean, that's like a middleweight fight and a cruiserweight. And if a cruiserweight smashing the middleweight as much as Tyson Fury is, people were saying, hey, this is unsafe. You know, it's the heavyweight game, I understand. And I, and I get it, he wanted to go out of his shield. But that sort of damage, what that could do to Wilder in the long run is, is my worry. But then again, he goes and says foolish stuff and it was quite enjoyable to see him get beaten up. <laughs> That's my honest opinion. It's terrible to say. When, I, when I'm listening to his wife calling Tyson Fury a fat fuck, I'm thinking, well, you know, that sort of pissed me off a little bit as well. I think, what's she getting involved for? You know, you don't need to be saying things like that. You know, your husband, you know, he's not the sharpest tool in the toolbox, is he? Let's be honest. He's a bit dopey. Uh, it's a, he's a thick fuck, really. And Tyson Fury put him away. That was quite enjoyable. But you've got to take consideration. And I hate to put a dampener on it, but that's my fault. Maybe it's because I've got a little boy and I'm not going to send him into boxing. When I see that, it does make me grimace a little bit. I, I get that. I, I do understand that. And and yeah, there's obviously the effects of the long-term sustained beating. And again, I, I refer to Trish Dixon's brilliant new book about CTE, the, all the research that he went and did on it. And, and if you haven't read that book, then please do go and, and check it out because it really gives you a, a, a harrowing, eye-opening account of how this really affects fighters' lives in the long run. And I think Deontay Wilder, uh, I'd be surprised if he doesn't end up with a bit of CTE because of these fights, this trilogy. This trilogy in yeah. particular is going to be the 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 make they say it's the making of a fighter and sometimes the breaking of a fighter and I think this is the breaking of Deontay Wilder and I suppose transitioning to to our further thoughts on this is to how things go from here and out Tyson Fury's put a definitive stamp on the trilogy for him now he's got WBC mandatory challenger Dillian White next brilliant that's a great fight that is a great fight yeah. people are already talking about it on social media and I'll come to that in a minute about a tweet I put out yesterday. So he's got that fight. Eddie Hearn said on the Smith-Fowler card that the Usyk-Joshua rematch is going to happen in early spring next year. They're looking at March, potentially April time. So that automatically makes me think that this unification fight won't happen straight away with Usyk. I'd prefer that to happen now. If I'm being totally honest, in terms of a legacy aspect, in terms of getting that one champion, I'd love to see that next. Realistically, is it going to happen? No. Because if you think about a money aspect of things, Joshua's got his rematch. They've triggered the rematch. That's going to happen. That's going to be another big sellout. Dillian White and Tyson Fury. People see that as an irrelevant fight for Tyson Fury at this stage. And I understand that. I put a tweet out yesterday, right? And it it went pretty semi-viral, to be honest with you. Probably the best tweet I've put out for a long time. And I was tweeting on the back of a, a sports Bible tweet. And their picture was Tyson Fury in the ring, and the caption was, the greatest heavyweight of all time. Now, of course, that's going to spark a huge Twitter war. That's pretty much what it did. My my comments on the back of that tweet were basically like, before you can even talk about Tyson Fury being anywhere near the greatest of all time, he needs to fight these three individuals. And the three individuals were Dillian White, Anthony Joshua, and Alexander Usyk. He needs to, for me, he needs to prove... He is the best fighter of this generation. Yeah. People are already saying he is. The arguments that I were having with people yesterday were that, how can you not consider him an all-time great already? And it's like, it's not that I don't consider him an all-time great. I do. But if he wants to be the best fighter of, of this generation and it being an argument in the top 10 of the best of all time, he needs to beat them three guys. And then people were saying like, well, why the fuck is Dillian White the gatekeeper to greatness? That was one tweet that stuck out in my mind. And it's like, well... It's not so much that he's the gatekeeper to greatness. He's the WBC mandatory challenger. If if Usyk and Joshua have got to fight next, he has to fight Dillian White or give up his title. He's not going to give up his title. So he's going to fight Dillian White. And from a money aspect of it, that will sell well. If that happens over here in the UK, 
Why not? That's a that's a great fight. That's an interesting fight. Dillian White has earned his right to to be the mandatory. People say, oh well, he got knocked out by a forty year old Povetkin. Yet he got caught with one shot. He made a mistake, and Povetkin punished him for that mistake. That happens in boxing. It happened to Lennox Lewis twice. Oliver McCall, Hassan Rackman. Remember that, guys. That happened yeah. to Lennox Lewis, and he came back and avenged that. Now I'm not comparing the two fighters, Dillian White and Lennox Lewis, but what I am saying is that. People lose and come back from losses and avenge them losses and move forward. Dillian White has done it. Anthony Joshua has done it once. He's going to try and do it again. So he's earned his shot at Tyson Fury as far as I'm concerned. And that fight is a good fight. Will it add to Deon, not Deontay Wilder? I was going to say Deontay Wilder. Tyson Fury's resume. Will it add to Tyson Fury's resume? Absolutely. People complain that Tyson Fury doesn't have a great resume. All he's done is beaten Klitschko and beaten Wilder. So, if you want to argue that Tyson Fury is one of the best of all time, for me, he has to beat them three names. And the reason I say Joshua as well in there, the reason I talk about Joshua is, although he's he's not got the belts now, even if he doesn't get the belts back, he's still one of the great champions of the past 10 years. That fight makes sense from a financial aspect. That fight makes sense from a British aspect. Then that, he can honestly say he's beaten everybody that is around of this generation, and there is no argument about him being a top ten. That that's my that's my sort of comments about all that. I wanted to get that out on the pod because I was trying to put that across on Twitter to people yesterday, and some of them some of them weren't really <laughs> getting nice. it. Some of them weren't getting it. Some of them were getting it. Some of them weren't. And the ones that eventually got it understood that. At the end of the day, we're talking about this generation. Is he the greatest fighter of this generation? As it stands, yeah, he is. But I think to cement that, he needs to do He needs to do this. He needs to beat the mandatory in Dillian White. He needs to beat the winner of Joshua and Usyk. And maybe you uh, could fight one of them at the end. He might not even need to do that. If he beat White and beat the winner of Joshua Usyk, that would probably be enough. But to solidify the long-term legacy, the lack of depth to the big names on his record, if he fought all three and beat all three, which I think he does... Then for me, that's that's Tyson Fury pushing himself into the top ten of all time. I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on this because this is so subjective and people have so many different of opinions. Tyson Fury, then, is he in with an argument for one of the greatest of all time now? And what does he have to do to be in with that argument? I don't think he is at the minute. I think again, uh, people blow a lot of hot smoke and a lot of air about certain fighters. Um, that that comment you mentioned there what makes Dillian White the gatekeeper to greatness well what makes Dillian what makes Deontay Wilder the gatekeeper to greatness you just see it for yourself for me Deontay Wilder is not the best second best heavyweight in a division I don't I never thought that before their first fight I still don't think it after their second and after their third I never have I think Wilder should have fought Joshua. He missed a trick and so did Joshua they should have fought each other when they both had the belts they made that mistake Tyson Fury comes in and uh, and creates this 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 moment in history in boxing history, and he's done that. Tyson Fury has done that, and may I add his promotional team. His promotional team have been terrific. Tyson Fury is a huge element of that, but what a great move from him, the man himself, um, to fight on away shores. He is he travels without fear, and he doesn't matter. He makes people love him when he leaves, and that's what Tyson Fury brings to the table. Uh, beating Wilder and Kalitsko. You know, two amazing achievements. Like in terms of the way he did it, the way he got rid of Wilder, and the way he beat Kalitsko. There's no doubt about that. And he will go down as one of the best British fighters. But as an all-time great heavyweight, no, not for me. Because all the great heavyweights beat those guys. They will. You know, if Dillian White has to, it has to be beaten. He does. You have to fight Dillian White. You have to fight Joshua, and you have to fight Usyk. I think I still believe. I watched the Usyk Joshua fight again, and I just think that that the way Tyson Fury beats Usyk is not the way he fought Deontay Wilder. You won't see Tyson Fury fight that same way. He fought the way he fought against Wilder in those last two fights was because that was the only way and the best way to fight Wilder is to put him on the back foot, put him, uh, you know, as much pressure as you can on him. And he just can't sustain any momentum. He he, he struggled with it. He really did. You know, you got to think, I know, Tyson's got, what, a 68, 69% knockout ratio. You know, he's a big puncher for the, He's a big guy. But he's not known to be a heavy puncher. But yet in that ring against Wilder, he was. And, um, you know, it, it makes it, it just makes the, the, the 
heavyweight business at this moment in time is exciting because we've got Dillian White still around, knocking around. He has he has held that WBA mandatory position for what the best part of two and a half years. Let the guy have his chance, and you know if Fury gets rid of him and just blazes him out, then fine. But you never know with Dillian. Dillian's got also got a big punch, and things could change. Maybe Fury doesn't get up. Maybe the effects from the Wilder fight affects Fury. Who knows? You know, Dillian White could not land a left big left and that's it um for fury who knows it's the heavyweight game it's just it's the beauty of it. it's what makes it so intriguing to watch and then it's down to joshua lucic whoever comes out and wins that fight then josh then tyson or white they fight the winner it it has set it up nicely for that and I, I'm, I'm pleased for dillian i really am i'm i'm not gonna be a hater and say that dillian don't deserve a shot do i think fury wins the fight yes i do but i still think he deserves his chance and if i were to come through that then I'm sure there probably would have been a fault if he had. But if anything, um, White still would have deserved his opportunity. So the, these are the best guys about in the, in the division. And they're the ones that deserve the chance to fight for all these titles. And if we find out in two years or what, a year and a half that who is the official number one and it ends up being Tyson Fury, then yes, I will put him down as a modern great, 100%. But there is one thing I've got to say is those Wilder fans, again, using this 10 clock count on uh, Fury getting up. Again, it's a referee's count, guys. If any, if there are any well, Wilder fans listening, it's not a 10 count from the moment a guy hits the canvas. You have to wait for the other guy to get into a neutral corner, and it's a referee's count. So these guys that are putting out, it was over 10 seconds by a second clock, by a clock count, you are so mistaken. Seriously, go back in your box and shut the fuck up. It is driving me <laughs> mental. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you said it. I'm glad you beat me to it, oh, to be honest with you. Oh, my goodness sake. <laughs> it's always the same. <laughs> the conspiracy theories are always raging. Yeah, you rightly pointed that out. You rightly pointed out. It happened in the first fight, remember. How many times are people showing images of their phone stopwatch against oh. the fight on the TV and the Jack Reese first fight count? At the end of the day, like you said, you've pointed it out. You've explained the rules to people. If people that follow the sport don't know the rules as they are then you really need to educate yourself because that is exactly what Johnson just explained to you is is how the 10 count actually works so I hope for anybody that's uneducated we have educated you a little bit for those that are very educated at listening to the pod you'll just be shaking your head and laughing along and probably going yep these guys do need to get the fuck back in their boxes because they clearly they clearly don't know what the hell they're talking about um it, it doesn't really put a, a dampener on that for me. I've 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 ignored all that. I've been being yeah. honest with you, Johnston. I've ignored it. I, I think I think it was definitive. What happened happened. At the end of the day, Tyson Fury comes out of it. He's put the definitive stamp on that trilogy. Another great heavyweight trilogy. Now uh, we've talked about what he does. Now this is where we get to talk about Wilder and what he can do next. Can he stay around and and have fights with guys like Andy Ruiz, with Joseph Parker, with Joe Joyce? Uh, maybe even Dillian White. Could he end up fighting Joshua? Does he need to retire? There are some people talking about that. That maybe, maybe after all that, as you said, what has it taken out of the pair of them? We don't really know until both of them get in the ring or one of them retires. We really don't know the effects of that, and it's going to be interesting because we don't know what the effect's going to be for Wilder because Wilder took more of a sustained beating throughout the course of them three fights than Fury did. Yeah, Fury got hurt a few times, but Wilder got really beaten around the ring in both fights two and three towards the end of that fight he was getting he was getting hurt and the state of his face afterwards and the picture that was taken of him in the corner and you can see his face and it's quite a close-up picture most people will have seen it by now but if you haven't go and look at it you can just see like the life and soul has been beaten out of the man and yet people are, are crying out for excuses as to why he lost and it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And I'm not going to go into all that because, for me, it's about what Wilder does next now. Does he stick around, Johnston? Does he Does he fight? Is there more fights out there for him? I think there are. I don't want to say he should retire, but then he's 35 years of age. People talk about why he got into boxing in the first place. The reason he got into the boxing was to support his daughter and his daughter's additional medical needs. And it's a great story. And people do forget about that story because of all the bravado and bullshit that comes after it because of Wilder. But that's the predominant reason why he got into it. I would have thought by now he's made enough money 
to, to live comfortably for the rest of his life. Does he need to fight on at 35? By the time he gets back in the ring, will he be 36? Does he need to go on? I'm not so sure he does, but I could imagine there's definitely one or two more big paydays for him. Yeah, I mean, Malik Scott came out and said that they never ever had a discussion pre-fight about Deontay Wilder calling it a day. So I think there are fights out, for, out there for him. And I think Dillian White would be a great fight against um, Wilder. I think um, Joshua would be a great fight. And because Tyson Fury has beaten Wilder comprehensively now over three fights, it doesn't mean that Joshua or Usyk or White are going to knock out Wilder because Wilder could still knock those guys out. That's, that's the beauty of the game. He could get one big win, whether it be against maybe a Ruiz. A little guy with fast hands, I don't know if that's probably the best opponent for him. I would say someone like a Robert Hellanius, who we could probably speak about in a little while. That would be a nice little fight to get him back into. See, he's a big guy that, that trained with Fury. And, um, you know, I don't know. You know, just, just a fight that can... He could get that winning feeling back. And there are guys out there that can do that, that, that can give him that. Um, and his power is, you know, you can't doubt Wilder's power. You can't doubt Joshua's power either, or Dillian White's. I think they've all got power. I mean, Tyson Fury has shown it. I mean, he, he's a big guy, 40 pounds heavier. And there was a moment in the fight as well where the doctor came into the ring and was talking to Wilder. I didn't understand what that was about. I don't know if you picked that up, Sean. I don't know what that was, what that surrounded. But that was around the time when I started to think, he's getting a bit of a pace in here. Like, is this necessary? Is this necessary to see a man get knocked, spark out? I think that is, that's the thing. That was my concern, is it become uncomfortable viewing. And although it was intriguing, I know people say, you know, that right hand could land. People even mentioned two commentaries I listened to. I listened to the Fox commentary and I listened to the ESPN. I would listen to a bit of English, but I couldn't really get um, a, a good enough, um, like the full fight. I could only get clips and bits and, and the, the pitch quality was really bad. But those two, there was two commentators in particular that mentioned the fact that they felt that Deontay Wilder had broke his hand during the fight because he kept holding his wrist. And, I, and again, that just opens up the excuses for him. Like straight away, he can turn around and say, yeah, I broke my hand. You know, I can throw the right hand. It, it, it irritates me, especially when the commentators again are saying these are, the, these are the one and two in the heavyweight game, completely dismissing the other guys and also saying that this is the real belt. It's that sort of stuff that irritates me, especially for the casual fans that come in and don't watch boxing all the time and they just assume that, oh, these guys, what they're talking about is legit. And Lennox Lewis, my goodness me, he was irritating me. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I can't help myself. I was just get. I found myself turning into a right old snotty old man when I'm watching it. Um, <laughs> and and the thing is, I shouldn't because it was a great fight. It was. It is one of the best fights I've seen in recent history. And I'm not going to knock that. But for five rounds of it, the second part of it was just a beating for me. That's that's what I I can't. I, I know Wilder's got a right hand, but when he start when he starts throwing that right hand and Tyson Fury's walking through him, that's when you know, come on, guys. Like Malik Scott, I know he's saying he, he didn't feel like he was in any danger. Oh, I don't know. For me, I don't think that's good. I think that is bad, bad from the corner. I think that's negligence for me. I really do. I can't help it. I can't get past it. Watching it a third time the other day, I was like, wow, he's taking a beating. I felt sorry for the guy. Where does he go? I, look, there are fights out there, though, Sean. I'm not, you know, Wilder is a joy to watch for for half of you know half a fight. And if he, if he hasn't got a guy like Tyson Fury, punch him in the face and he's got half a chance of, of winning, don't get me wrong. But um, yeah, I don't know. It just, it was unsettling for me at times. Well, that's pretty much the chat about Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, because we've got so much to cover, so many other great fights. It was a genuinely great weekend for boxing. And mm. I said it beforehand, I was genuinely excited about it. I, I, I was. I thought it would live up to the hype, and it really did. The weekend as a whole, it lived up to the hype. And I've struggled a lot, as I said, in the, in the pre-fight breakdown, you know, there's been some fights and some cards that have been pretty piss poor and really kind of made me think, am I really going to sit and watch this whole thing? And it's like, no, I'll catch it the next day. But I went out of my way to watch the cards on Saturday night in the UK. And obviously earlier it was a Sunday morning and I, I was really impressed. And I'm going to go a little bit back and forth between the two, really, Johnston, because I want to talk yeah. about the big fights, the good fights, the ones that really, really excited me and, and excited a lot of people. So I'm going to jump back to Liverpool and jump to the Smith Fowler card and talk about the fight that I did say to everybody listening would probably steal the show. And it absolutely stole the show. Ted Cheeseman, Troy Williamson. 
Johnston, talk to me about that fight. My goodness me, there's me talking about guys getting punched in the face way too much. How many times have you mentioned it with, with Ted, Ted Cheeseman? Um, I'll tell you what, um, again, it, maybe maybe that, that fight affected me, you know, because Ted Cheeseman, it, the craziest thing was I thought Troy was really strong early on. I thought he dominated at most of that early stages. And then he started to tire. It was almost like he got... He got affected when he threw a right hand and it landed flush on Cheeseman and Cheeseman kept coming forward. And he, he, he started to gas for me, Williamson. And I was thinking, oh God, is Cheeseman going to come back and win this? And it wouldn't surprise me if he had of, you know, reputation again of, of, of Cheeseman. He, he manages to, to maintain that where the referee doesn't want to step in. And he, he did start to tie Troy, but then again, Troy got a second win, come back. And I never thought I'd see Ted Cheeseman get knocked out the way he did. But, oh, my goodness me, what a beautiful, beautiful left hook to the head that knocked Cheese, Cheeseman out. I mean, it was concussive. And, again, maybe that is why I was a bit of a, an old fart watching the Fury, Fury Wilder fight um, and gritting through my teeth because I think that was like, holy shit, this, this fight probably, it just shows you, again, like the damage I worry about Cheeseman. Uh, but what a fight. I mean, look, we said it. We said this is potentially going to be a fight of the year, British fight of the year. And it certainly lived up to the bin. And these two did not back off each other. And credit to Troy, he um, he proved me wrong, really. I thought Cheeseman's experience might have come overcome it. But to knock Cheeseman out the way he did, as emphatic as he did, he is a name in the business. In this in this division, he's a name in his weight, for, especially on these shores, 100%. A brilliant fight, brilliant, brilliant fight. Uh, definitely up there for fight of the year. I really, really, thoroughly, 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 thoroughly enjoyed that fight. Uh, <laughs> I, honestly, it was back and forth. It was really, really back yeah, and really forth. And, and Troy Williamson just shown why he is the fighter that he is. People, you know, that, that listen from Canada, that listen from Australia, from America, you might not have heard of Troy Williamson before listening to... To, to us before, you might have heard the preview to the show and thinking, you know, undefeated fighter, how's he going to get on? I mean, I think that's sometimes about some of the American fighters because I don't really get to catch all of, of their career. But I've watched Troy from day one and I knew he was a great amateur. I knew he'd achieved a lot as an amateur and watching him progress throughout his career. It's not the first time I've seen Troy Williamson in an absolute battle like this. I've seen Troy fight Jack Flatley from Bolton, who's from Nine Neck of the Woods, and they had an absolute barn burner. And it was not even on the TV. I'm telling you now, I knew Troy Williamson would be in these types of fights going forward. And this was the one. Ted Cheeseman was the perfect dance partner for him, and they delivered. Uh, I think now Troy Williamson's put himself up there as, as one of the best in, in the division, super welterweight division in, in Britain. And we're going to talk about the other yeah. super welterweight fight, the other two super welterweight fights on that card as well, and how that sort of sets the landscape going forward. But Troy Williamson, he, he's definitely up there. Maybe... Liam Smith's the only one, really, domestically, who's in front of him. But we'll talk about his fight with Fowler in a minute. But Troy Williamson's definitely got the world at his feet at the moment when it comes to uh, our our UK scene. I mean, who who can beat him now? Troy Williamson, potentially against Anthony Fowler. Troy Williamson, maybe against a returning Scott Fitzgerald. Troy Williamson against Kieran Conway, even. I mean, there's so many fights now for Troy Williamson. Is Ted really going to go straight for an immediate rematch on this? I don't know. I mean, Ted needs a break. I'll be honest with you. Ted, I think, needs a break. Needs a good few months off out of the ring. A good six months away from the ring. Uh, And I think he probably will take that time away and then reassess and come back. Because at the end of the day, the lad's only 26. And he's already taken an absolute beating throughout his fights. And yeah, obviously, he's won the majority of it. But, you know, for the amount of sustained punishment he's taken, we've said this before, it's, it's quite worrying at such a young age, really. You know, how long has he got left in the game? You know, I could only see him sticking around for another couple of years if he keep, keeps having fights like that. And and that's that's truth. You know, these guys are going to get old before the time when it comes down to being in the boxing ring. Um, but yeah, Ted Cheeseman, Troy Williamson, it's got to be British Fight of the Year. Probably is British Fight of the Year for me so far. Uh, there are a few others up there which we'll probably end up covering for the end of year show. But wow, great fight. And, and you know, Kieran Conway, James Metcalf was the other one on there before the headline event. Kieran Conway, James Metcalf, I thought was a pretty decent scrap as well. I think Kieran Conway did well against James Metcalf. I think JJ Metcalf was coming off the back of a loss and, he, you know, he needed a, 
a good shot to try and get his career back on track. But I think Kieran Conway's experience has, has really gone up tenfold. And I thought that win for Kieran Conway was absolutely brilliant. And it puts him in the position to, say, fight Troy Williamson or, or fight Anthony Fowler when he returns to the ring. You know, these are the sorts of fights that we need to, to get on the domestic scene before they move forward now. So that was another great fight on the card. There's, there's obviously a, a burning topic of conversation that I want to have in, in a few moments. Um, but other results yeah. on that card before we go into uh, the burning topic of conversation. I'm referring to uh, Luke Willis beat Ryland Charlton. Uh, Solomon Dacris beat Camille Sokolowski. Peter McGrail, we'll talk about him as well. Obviously, his, his debut against Ed Harrison. Robbie Davis Jr. was on there, Blaine Highland. But my t- talking point, that the, the part of this card that, that really, really wants to come out and, and have a good conversation about is, of course, Shannon Courtney. We talked about Shannon Courtney in the pre-fight breakdown and and, and what was going to happen on this night. And everything just seemed to be going wrong for her over the course of the last few days. When we recorded the episode at that point last week, she'd not got on the scales at this point. We didn't know what was going to happen. She missed weight. She loses the world title on the scales. She comes into the ring with a big knee brace on. And she gets beaten from pillar to post, essentially, against the miracle Jamie Mitchell, who who Johnston actually said will probably need a <laughs> will probably need a miracle to to win. And you know what? The gods were shining down on her that night because she got it, and she got it. But Shannon Courtney's face at the end of that fight and her lack of professionalism and probably sportsmanship was what really got everybody going at her on social media. She really thought she won that fight. She absolutely, genuinely thought she won it. She sat next to Jamie Mitchell in the post-fight interview. And I don't know how she could sit there and say, I don't want to take anything away from her. But, and my saying is, anything before the but is bullshit. Anything you say before the but is just bullshit. And she used that but word and she then went on to talk about how she thought she won the fight. blah 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 And she just needs to go away and she needs to reassess things. And I know she's put out on social media that she's had some other things going on outside of it. And all the excuses obviously come out. And Right, okay. But you don't make yourself look very good when you do things like that, I don't think, in the sport. How many times has it happened before now? I think sour grapes comes to mind. I think whatever's been going on outside of the ring, poor preparations, whatever it is that's caused her to get to this point in this fight where she's ended up not only losing her world title on the scales, but then losing the fight. I think there needs to be a lot of assessment going on behind the scenes before she returns to the ring. But after seeing it, Johnston, like genuinely, like what did you think about the fight? What did you think about the reactions afterwards? And, you know, if you was giving her advice now, like what to do next, what would it be? <sighs> I mean, it's a tough one because, like you say, we didn't... Uh, I said she did the miracle. I mean, the miracle come in the form of Mother Nature by the sounds of things. Um, uh, menstrual cycle, uh, Courtney's menstrual cycle kicked in and she missed weight. Uh, it's, it's an interesting debate, really, isn't it? Uh, when it comes to the females, is to is that something you probably... You, they could actually, I don't know, give them a bit of leeway on? I don't know. Uh, it's, it's an easy way out, really, isn't it, to say that? But... It, it is a big question. I mean, you know, it, it happens to, to female fighters and whether, you know, she's coming overweight, fine. Um, look, there's ways and means around it, though. Right? From You know, we're not women. Look, we're not going to knock it. It's difficult to knock it because we ain't, we ain't women. Um, so the weight issue, I sort of give her a, a little bit of leeway on. But then she got beat up. She got beat up. She really did. Uh, Mitchell was the better fighter. She won the fight. It was as clear as day. I was watching it and, and I couldn't see Sharon. She just, she, she, Shannon, sorry, she just wasn't on it. Um, and Mitchell was and she beat her. And she lost the title before she even got in the ring and then got beat up pretty bad. At times, you know, it was, for me, she lost it. There's, there's it's all the excuses sitting there and all the butts. That doesn't look good. It doesn't look good on any fight, whether you're male or female. You just need to be taking defeat gracefully, going back to your training camp and making sure you do not make the same mistakes that she made before and you know she, she can clearly identify where she's gone wrong so hopefully she can reassess herself and come back and win the fight um it was a shocker because um i wasn't expecting it at all but credit to mitchell i thought she produced a really strong performance and she deserved the win well moving forward to the main event 
on this card. Liam Smith, Anthony Fowler started out really, really well. A very interesting start to the fight. Anthony Fowler used his jab really, really well. You could see the McGuigan influence in there. And then Liam Smith got a cut early on, and you're starting to think to yourself, Anthony Fowler could really do this tonight. And he started to, first couple of rounds, put his put his dominance into the fight, and he hurt Smith on a number of occasions. But then Smith started to work his way on the inside, started to look for the opening, started to hurt Fowler himself, and eventually went on to stop Anthony Fowler. In what was a, a really, really good fight. It wasn't as good as Cheeseman-Williamson, but it was a really, really entertaining fight to watch. And I think... If anybody comes away with more credit, it's probably Anthony Fowler. I mean, we were talking about this being a crossroads fight, and we were talking about we'll see what Liam Smith's got left and what Anthony Fowler has and whether it was too soon to step up. I don't think it was too soon to step up for him. I think he proved that he's definitely at a, a, a very improved level, but Liam Smith still just got that class above him. And Anthony Fowler, for me, gets a lot of credit for the performance he put on and, and the gracefulness in defeat, and the fact that now he should be able to take a lot away from that. It's his second defeat in 17 fights. He can come back from this now, and there are so many fights in the Super Welterweight division. Cheeseman and Conway are the two fights that I think about straight away. Cheeseman probably more so, and Fowler would be a good matchup, given that they've both ended up losing their respective fights. I think that would be a perfect matchup for the pair of them. Fowler-Conway would be interesting. I think there's some, there's some great fights for Fowler there. But my, my focus now is, is on what Liam Smith does next because he still he still has something left in the tank. But who does he go and face? How does he move forward? They're talking about putting him in with Jesse Vargas next as his next fight. That's looking likely to be what he does next. But is, is that what he needs at this stage of his career? Uh, are they trying to put him back into world title contention? Because you look at the division and you look at the champions of the division... And you think to yourself, is Liam Smith good enough to beat any of those champions now at this point? And I'm not so sure he is. I'm not so sure he is. I'm, I'm sure that he'd probably get a world title shot because he's good enough. Not like his brother Paul, who was given world title shots on a couple of occasions. You know, this is Liam who's working his way back there and not being given voluntary defences. He's putting himself up there to try and get into a mandatory position. Does he deserve one now? Not at this moment. No, I think he needs he needs another win over a, a good name and a, a ranked name before he can even be put into the title contention. But because it was for the WBA International Super Welterweight title, it's a rankings title, so it automatically gets him up where it needs to be. He needs another fight. He needs a fight with a world-class opponent first before stepping in for a world title. As he, For me, he's probably got one more world title tilt left in him after that. That's what it's proven to me. He's shown me that he's got one more chance at an opportunity for a world title before he calls it a day. And he will have a good fight with whoever he gets in the ring with. Do I think he'll win a world title again? Not unless he goes for the weakest link of the division. And yeah. that that that's pretty much... That's my assessment on, on Liam Smith. What, what do you think about his performance, Fowler's performance, uh, and also, obviously, Liam Smith's future in the super welterweight division going for a world title? I think Liam Smith, again, he proved to be the best British super welter around. I don't think there's any arguments for that anymore. I think we, there was a there was a moment where, I suppose, after the, when he went to Russia, um, I feel like maybe that he could have been on a slight decline uh, and Fowler was maybe meeting him at the right time, that, that Kurbanov who beat him. But I think he proved again that he is, he is the best British fighter in this division and he, he is world level. Is he good enough to go on and win a world title again? I'm not so sure. I mean, I mean, we've got Jamel Charlo. I think he holds, what, three of those belts. And you've got that Castano, the Argentinian. I think he holds a WBO. But then you've got other fighters that have been former world champions themselves. I would quite like to see a Jarrett Hurd fight over a, a Jesse Vargas fight. Personally, um, I think that's quite... Because he's a, quite a big guy as well. That, that, that could be like an eliminator for, for whatever. But, you know... You don't know with these rankings, they're all different between all the different organisations. It's hard to really get a picture of who the mandatory one is. Jesse Vargas seems to be the one that they want. Then it seems like that's probably going to happen. He'd need to come through that. And then hopefully that could be some sort of elimination for him to fight like a Charlo. Could he beat him? I'm not so sure. I think when he reaches that world level, I think that's where he lacks. And then, um, but he's better than everyone else sort of at in a domestic scene. For Fowler... I, 
I think it was a little bit too early. I mean, I, I said it before that possibly it could come to fruition that it is a little bit early for him. But he even said himself, you know, he's graceful in defeat. And he said after that, you know, there were a fight he wanted out there that weren't Liam Smith. And they, it just didn't come to fruition. And therefore, the Liam Smith fight come up. And he thought, why not? Let's fight him. It's going to be a good learning experience for him. And he had every intention to go in and win the fight. It just weren't good enough. So he's going to learn a lot from that. He does. He takes it on board. And he can adjust and hopefully go on to to get himself a world title contention. But it's difficult. Liam Swift is in just in that weird bracket, isn't he? He's in that bracket where is he good enough for a world title fight? He probably is, but then is he going to win one? Probably not. Um, I don't know. He, he's right at the end of his career. He needs to fight somebody, whether it be Jesse Vargas or like Jarrett Hurd or someone like that, to get him in that condition, into contention, fight for a world title, whoever that may be. And see what happens. And if he fouls, then you know he fouls. If he wins, then terrific. He can he can say he's a two-time world champion. And then he, I think it is then is the time to retire. But um, I think he proved that he's still got something to offer, though. Before we move to the rest of the Tyson Fury Deontay Wilder undercard, just want to quickly whip through the Frank Warren card. Brad Foster lost his EBU oh. Commonwealth and British title to Jason Cunningham, which Brad feels he was robbed. He was robbed of that title. Jason Cunningham, I think, put a, a good performance on. I think he probably just outmuscled him a little bit. People will argue Brad Foster would have won that fight. If you've watched the fight, guys, obviously I'd like to know your opinions on it. Uh, I'm interested to know. I think the, the the most shocking thing to come out of the back of that is poor Jason Cunningham. While he was there going on to win that fight, his house was robbed. And a lot of his possessions were taken. I was thinking, you know, these guys knew. Whoever did this targeted his house. They knew he was going to be in the bloody ring and he was in there burgling his house. And I feel for him because he's just the biggest night of his professional career. Biggest night of his professional career. And that happens. But fair play to him. What he has decided to do is he's decided to get his fight robes and his fight shorts and his gloves and he's actually auctioning them off, making some money and he's going to split it down the middle with his two former amateur clubs and, and donate it back to them, which I thought was a really nice gesture given the fact that obviously he's just lost a lot of his personal possessions, which I'm sure he's insured for, but it's not the point. The fact that someone's been in his house while he's been away and he's been in, in the ring fighting for the titles Pretty shocking, to be honest with you. It was a good fight. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that fight. But I enjoyed Echo Asuman and Danny Ball uh, a little bit more because I, I knew Echo was one to watch. I knew he was going to be you know, a, a really good name in the welterweight division domestically. We spoke about the possible options for him if he beat Danny Ball, and he did beat Danny Ball, and he beat him, and he beat him convincingly, and he stopped him, and it was a, it was a great stoppage, a great win for him, and I think now... It's like the world's his oyster now. I think in the welterweight division, domestically, there's, there's names that we mentioned in the preview show that I think he needs to, to head towards now. So he got a re- really good victory. Uh, the rest of the card came with Liam Davis getting the win over Dixon Flores. Uh, Callum Johnson, bit of a laboured victory over Sever Umaleyev. And then we had Nick Ball uh, stopping his opponent, Peter Goodell, in, in the first round. Uh, Owen Cooper, George David, Amar Akbar, Macaulay Owen and Ryan Woolwich all got victories on that Frank Warren card over the weekend. But we need to move back to America and we need to go back to the card. And we mentioned a couple of names earlier. And Robert Hellenius and Adam Kwanaki was chief support to Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder. And Robert Hellenius... It was just repeat. He just did what he did in the first fight. And Adam Adam Quinake reminded me of a certain Andrew Galotta in that fight. <laughs> he did. Exactly the same as me, mate. It rang bells in my head. Um, I wasn't expecting it. I thought Adam Quinake would be a better fighter. I, I really thought he would have addressed those the mistakes he made. I mean, to be fair, he was winning that first fight quite comfortably until he got knocked out. So for me, I just thought it was going to be a bit of a repeat, but he ain't going to get knocked out this time. But clearly, Robert Hellanius got in his head and that knockout affected him so badly. Literally, one round in, both eyes are shut already. It was incredible power. And and I'll tell you what, I was really impressed with the 37-year-old Robert Hellanius. I really was. I know, you know, he's an old boy. He's been on the block, but the Nautic nightmare was exactly that. For Adam Kunaki was an absolute nightmare for him. He's a guy that I'm sure he's pretty glad to see the back of right now because he just got in his head. And then he starts chucking the low blows until eventually the referee had seen enough and, and he called it a day. And and to, to credit to the referee, I think he was absolutely right. 
uh, Ruiz to stop that fight. I think Adam was looking for a way out. He didn't want to go out, as they've been mentioning, with Wilder on his shield. He wanted to find a way out, and he did by hitting, whacking in those low blows constantly. It was it was quite funny, really. Poor Robert Elanius <laughs> just getting it in the bowls. Um, but credit to him, you know, he moves on. And Robert is not a bad fight. There's, there's, you could see he's been training with Fury in there. They say you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but... There was a bit of fury in him in there. A bit of sparring he's been working. Just the way he was throwing his jab and following it up, that, that, that quick one-two, which is famous at the minute with fury for me. And I think you could actually see that. Um, Helenus came in to help Fury. I think Fury helped Helenus quite massively. And uh, Kunaki, I mean, he's got to come again. I really don't know. Uh, maybe it's just his bogeyman. Well, you said that, Sean, didn't you, as well, yep. in, in the previous show, that you know, maybe it's just the bogeyman. I think that probably is the case. Robert Helenius now. You know who I'd like to see him fight after this? I'd like, oh. to, see him, I'd like to see him fight Joe Joyce. Good one. Love I, it. Yeah. I, think, I think Joe Joyce is that fighter that he's, he's not going to take a backward step and he's got a huge output for a heavyweight. I think Robert Helenius, Joe Joyce would be an excellent fight. It really would yeah. be a brilliant fight. And I think for Joe Joyce, if he wants to put more of a stamp on, on his claim to getting a world title shot in the future, he, he probably needs to beat a guy like Robert Helenius now. We didn't think Robert Helenius would have that much left in him, but he's proven now two wins over a prospect like Adam Kornacki now proves that he has got something left in the tank, even at 37 you know he could still have his twilight years in the next couple of in the next couple of years and still potentially get a world title shot uh, you know as as this heavyweight saga wraps itself up in the next 2 years or so Robert Helenius could end up being a mandatory or even a voluntary for the champion. We just don't know. Whoever that may be, we just don't know if that'll happen. But in the interim, Robert Helenius, Joe Joyce, there's a, there's a lot to play for there between the pair of them. And I think that'd be a really interesting fight. That's the one that springs out to me. Robert Helenius, Andy Ruiz would be quite interesting as well. I think I'd quite like to see that. I think there's a good couple of fights out there now for Robert Helenius. And, and more importantly, a good few paydays left for him before he ends yeah. his career. So I was really impressed uh, with that victory, but there was one victory on the card that I think we was um, we was quite surprised about. Frank Sanchez, twenty nine year old Frank Sanchez, or so he says he's twenty nine year old. He looks as um, he looks like he reminds me of Louis Ortiz. He looks a little bit like Louis Ortiz uh, in the sense that Louis Ortiz says he's what thirty eight years old, but we all think he's about fifty. That running <laughs> that running joke about it. Well, Frank Sanchez is twenty nine, but he looks probably about thirty nine. But yet he got an absolutely brilliant victory over the highly touted FAA Jaguar. Yeah, massively, um, massive shot for me. I was not expecting it whatsoever. But then, you know, we hadn't seen Frank Sanchez. We'd obviously kept an eye on FAA Jaguar. And as you mentioned, you were, again, another thing you mentioned was that we don't always are able to keep track of these fighters overseas. And, you know, it's not, not easy to keep up to date with them all. And, well, he proved his worth, didn't he? He weren't going to be no rollover. And, and Frank... Sanchez, I thought Sanchez was was really good throughout. I think he dominated the fight, put a Jagba down in round seven. And I think it went, it went until like the last round is when the Jagba realised that he could put a bit of pressure on him and he looked, and it got a bit of success, but it was too late. So hopefully for, for a Jagba, this is a great learning curve for him and he can come back. Either that or Frank Sanchez is going to turn into be a decent heavyweight. It's difficult to assess it. It was a good performance from Frank. Um, and FA Jagba, he just, he's got to come again. It happened with Daniel Dubois. You know, maybe that's a good fight. A Jagber and Dubois, two guys uh, sort of needing to find their feet again and get back to winning ways. I mean, I know Dubois has recently, but I think that's a great fight down the line if he doesn't go for a rematch with Sanchez. But yeah, big, big shot for me. I wasn't expecting that. No, good fight. Good, interesting fight. Uh, Edgar, Edgar Balanga got his victory. Uh, but not in the first yeah. round. And he actually got put down on his ass in this fight, yeah. which I thought was really interesting. And I think it was a really, really good learning fight for him. Really good learning fight. And personally, for me, this is the type of fight he probably needed. We know he's got this this knockout ratio. He's, he's famous for knocking everybody out in round one. Uh, you know, he, he came off the back of a unanimous decision in his last fight earlier in the year. And then he got put on his ass by Marcelo Corcares in what was a really, really interesting fight. It, it made it more interesting because... Uh, Belanga wasn't able to just blow him out of there. And Belanga did win, obviously, on a unanimous decision in the end. Uh, he did labour the victory over over Corcares. But for me, it was the fact that he got knocked down, that he overcame the adversity, that he got the experiences that he needed. If he if he's going to go on in the super middleweight division and be a threat, and if he's going to legitimately be a threat in the super middleweight division, with the guys like Canelo and Plant fighting each other in a month or so... You know, if he if he wants to get up to the that echelon in that division, and he wants to fight the guys that are around like David Benavidez, people like that, 
he needs them tests like he just had. And that was a perfect test for him. And I think we all put too much emphasis on the fact of what he'd done before his, his last fight because of them knockouts. But again, it's all about who he's knocking out and the level of opposition. And they, they you know, they wasn't as good as the ones he's been going in with recently. Desmond Nicholson, Marcelo Carcarez, I think they, they were obviously better, better well-equipped to deal with Belanga. And it gave him the test that he needed to, to, to go forward with his career. So I was, I was really intrigued with that fight. I thought it was a good performance. Uh, overall, a bit laboured in parts, got his got his knockdown against him, come back, did well, and he moves forward. Perfect for him. Uh, there was another upset on the card. Julian Williams lost to Vladimir Hernandez. Vladimir Hernandez outworked him, out-hustled him throughout that fight, but Julian J-Rock Williams thought he'd won it. Again, another interesting one, another bit, of, another controversial one. Uh, and then uh, Robsy Ramirez got his victory over Orlando Gonzalez Ruiz, who was 17-0 before that fight. So he's he's come back from that first loss of his career, and he, he's done quite well. And I think, again, because of his amateur pedigree, because of how good he was as an amateur, so much emphasis was placed on his professional career and how he would do. They all compared him to like Lomachenko. He was in a world title fight in his second fight. I don't think Ramirez is quite at that level yet. But he's definitely getting there. After eight fights in now, he's, he's had some really good tests. He's got a loss on his record. But they're throwing him straight in with, with good names, with good established names. And, and this is the type of thing that they do with these amateurs that come through that are so good that they can fight you know, people so early on in their career because they don't need as much experience as, as, say, someone who's come in and had to only like 20, 30 fights as an amateur. So... It was good to see him back on the card as well. Overall, it, you know, it stacked up to be a really, really good card. And you know what? I actually enjoyed it. I thought it was a, a decent card. It was very interesting to see some of the fighters. It was interesting to see some of the fights not going the way that were initially anticipated. Yeah, and, and I think that that adds to it, doesn't it? I mean, we looked through the card and we was quite impressive with it. Um, again, um, the... Uh commentators they're blowing their own trumpet saying it's one of the greatest cards has ever been in god knows in history probably in the history of the sport um <laughs> uh, it weren't that good it was but it was what i did like is the fact that they were even fights we said that there's a lot of even fights on here and uh, it was good to see the the other guys come through like Hernandez and, San- and sanchez both coming through fights where you didn't think they were going to win so you know it gives them uh, platform as well to, to, to credit them and uh, I mean Corker is and Belinga I mean Belinga was in control for me and then he got caught and I was like what on earth it just shows you doesn't it how quickly that that sort of it changed the complexion of that fight and you could see he was a bit worried because he got hurt again in that 10th round and you're thinking if he goes down again this is going to be really interesting on the scorecards um, because I think Corker has probably won a couple of rounds in between the early stages so that was a a massive wake-up call for, for Belenga, but I think Belenga, he's a good fighter. You know, again, these are all great learning curves for these fighters, but as a whole, I mean, the, the bill itself was was great viewing. Uh, Helenius and Kunaki was great. Uh, Jagba Sanchez, they were, they, I watched pretty much all of them. I didn't watch them all that sort of in the morning. I couldn't, I, I, I admit, my alarm went off and I, I sort of slept through a little bit and I only <laughs> caught uh, the last three, but I've gone on to, to recap on some of the fights, I've managed to, to cram them in and, and sort of over the next over the last day or so. But mate, uh, like, I can't knock it. It was a good card. It was good fun to watch. Um, it just it's just this commentary, mate. I just can't. I can't deal with it. It, it just <laughs> I have to. I have to turn it down, and I now know why because it drives me insane. Like just the stuff, the shit that I come out with. But thinking about it now, it does make me laugh. It is quite funny if, if people actually feed into the bullshit. But um, that great card. I'm not going to knock it. One of the best cards I've seen in a while. It was a really good weekend for the sport. I, I, I think it helped boxing again with the fights that we've seen over the weekend. It really did help yeah. put the sport back out there. And again, like people like me, you know, we've been following it for years and years. And you do go through lulls of your interest in the sport, depending upon what's going on at the time. And over the past few months, it's been difficult for me to really, really want to get engaged with a lot of the fights that have been going on because there's not been many where I felt like they've been that well matched and I'm thinking to myself well 
you know, it's, it's, it's not really appealing to me. And I, I need something that appeals to me. And this weekend was, was exactly what got sucked me right back into to, to the whole world of, of what it's like to be involved heavily within, within boxing media. And it was really interesting to see all the different takes uh, from people across the weekend. Uh, and it was a real good weekend for the sport. And this week, uh, we've done some Fight Week interviews, or I've done some Fight Week interviews with a couple of the guys that are fighting this coming weekend. Uh, not going to do a fight preview for it, John because obviously it's not a, it's a very stacked weekend in terms of the fights that are on but in terms of the the, the the evenly matched aspect of it there's not too many of them that are for me so I've put a list together and I put it out on social media a bit earlier on about the the, the sort of the standout fights for this coming weekend we've got Navarrete versus Gonzalez uh, we've got Soto versus Gonzalez Breedis Marius Breedis versus Man uh, Garcia Mikey Garcia versus Martin there's a good fight happening on, on an undercard uh Diego Pacheo versus Luis Di Abreu. And then we've got Savannah Marshall. We've got Huey Fury versus Christian Hammer. Chris Eubank Jr. is back in. Luis Ritson against Hank Lunder. And then Bradley Ray versus Jez Smith. I mean, they're the fights that I think, if you're going to look out for any fights this coming weekend, they, they are the standout ones for me. They are the ones that are the best of the bunch this weekend. That if you are looking to tune into some good fights, they're the ones. So if you've not checked it out on social media, Look on my social media account at Sean BTR Boxing, and you'll see the list that I've put out, and you'll see the the fight photographs that I've put on there as well to give you an indication of the cards that I'm referring to. There's one for Top Rank, one for the Zone. Uh, there's the Rumble in Riga, then there's obviously the Boxer Newcastle Takeover, which is on Sky Sports. So th- there's plenty of ways of means of getting these fights over the weekend so definitely go and check that out and as I said two fight week interviews Sajid Abid who's fighting in Dubai uh, on an Amir Khan card Amir Khan's put that card together in Dubai so that was an interesting conversation with Sajid that's out there already and if you've not heard my interview with Bradley Ray as well that's out there he's talking about taking on Jez Smith in a a huge step up for Bradley so yeah there's some good content coming out this week and of course we've got the dark side of boxing we've not mentioned it so much on our main feed episodes but it is back 25th of October, first episode's going out there, and next week, next Monday, we'll tweet out what the first episode is going to be, and guys, you're going to love it, you're going to really, really love it, it's this season that's coming up is is so good, there's so many great stories that we've really delved into the depths of the internet, social media, books, every bit of literature that we've been able to get hold of. We've tried to get it and we've got it and we've put it into great episodes. So please, if you've not checked out our true crime boxing podcast at darker underscore side underscore pod, that'll be out there. A new career profile will be incoming over the course of the next week as well. So please do check out all our pods on social media. Follow us at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, and of course on YouTube. There'll be more Fight Week interviews coming in the next couple of weeks as well, so please do check out the main feed for that. In general then, it's been a great weekend, Johnston. I've enjoyed sitting down with you again to discuss it, and you've made some really good points, and you've made me laugh because there's been some funny comments about the Wilder fans in particular. Uh, but I suppose I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you take the floor to final this episode off and just sort of... Final thoughts then, Fury Wilder, the landscape of the heavyweight division, what happens from here? I hope we just get to see these big fights now, that's the main thing, you know, that's what we all want, we want to see the big fights, we now know that there's going to be a rematch with Joshua and Usyk, which is great, we can get a winner of that, and then look at Hopefully, Dillian White getting his chance finally, which is great news for me. I mean, I'm, I'm a boxing fan and I do love our British fighters and I'm really pleased for Dillian that hopefully he gets this fight signed and sealed and delivered. And I would love it to be somewhere like at a stadium. I'd love to see Tyson Fury fight at a football stadium. He has hinted previously uh, from other interviews, not so recently, but that he would love to fight Old Trafford. That's a fight that could happen at the end of the football season quite easily now. And I think that would be great to see Tyson Fury up at Old Trafford against Dillian White. That's a big, big fight. It just adds a nice feel to it for the WBC title. And then you get the other titles. They are, and, and the other titles that are around, if you were listening to the ESPN commentary, they are significant. <laughs> they are. They're not. The WBC isn't the only real title, as they kept mentioning on that show. Um, there are three other titles, and we we just want to know who the best is. And uh, I mean, at the minute, after the performance that Tyson Fury put in, he does put, 
he stamps his authority in a division. I think that's what he's done. And I think Usyk could do that with a win over Joshua again. Uh, maybe Joshua could make his changes and we get to see Joshua Fury. The fights are there. It's, it's made it very intriguing. And for the likes of Dele, uh, Deontay Wilder, he could come again. And he's got some great fights. He can earn some big money. And he could get some significant wins. Just unfortunately for him, it wasn't against Tyson Fury. But what a thrilling contest. And it's been a pleasure, Sean. It has, mate. Um, and great to go through these. Uh, we were we got quite a few wrong, actually, this week. But then we got a few <laughs> quite right. Uh, so, um, yeah, look, you know, tune in. Keep listening because uh, we'll keep giving you decent material. We keep we keep making it real. And we're, I'm not... I might sound like a boring old fight there when I was breaking down that fight earlier. Don't be mistaken. I really enjoyed the fight like many of you did. I just think we need to just take a deep breath and chew a little bit. And uh, (laughs) the perspective of time, I think you'll realise that there are other fights that are going to be just as good as this one. So that's what makes it so exciting. And that's what I can't wait. But it's been a pleasure, Sean, as always. Well... Thanks for listening, guys. Make sure you do subscribe to us on Apple, on Spotify, on YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. Please go and check us out again. Social media at BTR Boxing Pod and BTR Boxing Podcast on Facebook, Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you again on the next episode for another big fight preview for Fight Week interviews. And make sure you check out the upcoming series of Dark Side of Boxing and the continuous career profiles. Thanks for listening, guys. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.